26, beginning at verse 5. It can be found in the New Testament section of the Bible on page 5. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, Let's start with a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love to hear and answer our prayers. We ask that you would speak to us afresh through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to start with a couple of light-hearted jokes about prayer. There are many I could have chosen. The first one's this. A woman invited some people to dinner, and at the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Would you like to say the blessing? Would you like to say grace? I wouldn't know what to say, the little girl replied. Just say what you hear mummy say, the mother said. The little girl bowed her head and said, Dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) The second one is, is this. A dad was listening to his son say his prayer, and his son started with this. Dear Harold... And so his dad interrupted and said, wait a minute, how come you called God Harold? And the little boy looked up and said, well, that's what we call him in church, isn't it? You know the prayer we say, our Father in heaven, Harold be your name. 
forgive me, a bit light-hearted. Prayer, of course, is a serious activity, um, as is fasting, both of which we're going to look at this morning from this passage as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're going to look at this in, in three parts. We're going to firstly look at how our Father sees the heart, and we'll particularly look at verses 5 and 16 of the passage. Then we're going to look at the wonderful act of prayer. We'll see the Lord's Prayer that was beautifully read to us. And then thirdly, we'll look at the spiritual discipline of fasting. So firstly, our Father sees the heart. Now, I'd love it if you would follow this with with me in the Bibles, if you can. It's on pages, um, page five, starts on page five um, in the Pew Bibles. So Jesus began this portion of the Sermon on the Mount um, by saying this. If you look at, we didn't didn't read it from our um, reading, but from verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He seems to be here talking about motives. And we see this theme of looking at motives again last week when Jesus spoke about giving. So if you look at verse 2, again, you can see this about motives. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. We can see here that we're talking about here this focus on motives, what the heart is. And then look here about praying, verse 5. Look at how we started, verse 5. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their rewards. You see some of that in verse 7. And then again, just in case we haven't seen the point, he says it again when it comes to fasting. If we look at verse 16 together, and whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. So essentially, in in all these passages, Jesus seems to be asking his listeners to examine their hearts, as if to say, what are your motives for doing these things? If you give in secret, if you pray in secret, if you fast in secret, your Father will reward you because he recognizes your devotion. He sees the heart. And so the point being, I think, that kingdom servants seek God's approval rather than the admiration and praise of other humans. And so as it says in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, and I paraphrase, we are entrusted with the message of the gospel not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. So can I suggest that one of the key messages of Christ's teaching for us here this morning is not about the proper procedures as such for fasting and prayer, but it's about our heart's intentions. The Lord always looks at our hearts. And so there's nothing wrong with people seeing us commit a righteous act as long as being seen is not the motivation behind the action. He wants us to give, he wants us to pray, he wants us to fast for his glory so that we can be used by him, so that he can mould us, cleanse us, empower us, enrich us because 
as a father who loves us, he loves to do that. And so when I was studying it this week, over the last couple of weeks, it reminded me of when Claire and I refurbished our house in Peckham. And um, in, in London, we moved up from London a couple of years ago. And we bought this doer-upper 15, 16 years, 16 years ago, and we had to change everything. It was all we could afford, so it was a complete mess. But at least the one thing in the house that we knew was okay, and so we left till the end, were the walls in the, halls, uh, in the hall and in the landing, because we knew that that was the one bit that was actually fine in this house. But when it came to decorating that final part, when it came to decorating those walls, our decorator started to peel off the wallpaper so that he could paint what he thought was good plaster behind it. And as he peeled off the wallpaper, everything came down. Everything. The plaster behind the wallpaper came down, bits of wood came down, and some of the bricks between us and our terraced house next door came down with it. It all came down. The wallpaper, or about, should I say, six lots of wallpaper, were hiding a total mess. It was, in effect, that wallpaper holding the whole wall up, and it needed an awful lot of fixing after it had all fallen down. And I thought that this was a picture of this for me as I was studying it. God sees what's behind our facade. God sees behind our wallpaper. He sees our heart. And the beauty of this is he loves to work on our hearts. He loves to give us his grace. He loves to be his strength in our weakness. So that's the first part, the the heart. God sees the heart. What's our motivation? Now getting to the main part here, the wonderful act of prayer. So in the Lord's Prayer here, Jesus shows us how to pray. And it's not only a prayer to be repeated as part of liturgy when we're together as a church, although of course that is really important and it's great, but it also shows us a pattern of prayer and those things that we should be praying about, those things that are on our Father's heart. I don't know about you, but um, I can remember dramatic times for me, personally, when I prayed to God using the words of the Lord's Prayer. When I, um, when I had my gallbladder removed 15 years ago and went into the operating theatre, I was given general anaesthetic and I was told to count to 10. But instead of counting to 10, I, I, said, I said the Lord's Prayer out loud and I got to your will be done before the anaesthetic um, did its, its job. And I suppose reminding ourselves about about prayer is prayer on its simplest level is the talking part of our relationship with God. It's the main way in which we develop our relationship with our Father in heaven. All relationships kind of grow or die in proportion to how much communication takes place, whether that's in a marriage, in friendships, in in families. All good, strong relationships have good, open communication channels. And I do think that's the same for our relationship with God. Our Father in heaven, throughout his word, makes clear he wants a relationship with each one of us here, with, with his children. And he wants to hear and answer our prayers. Which is why God tells us to pray over and over again in the Bible. As I've been studying it again this week, see, in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. Luke 22, verse 40, pray that you will not fall into temptation. We see here, verse 9, if you look at verse 9, pray then in this way. We're asked to pray. And Jesus gives us this, this pattern. And we can see how 
in the first set of petitions of this Lord's Prayer, they're to do with God, the glory of God, his adoration. It's about him. And then the second set of petitions are to do with our needs and our necessities. So that's to say God is first given his supreme place. And then and only then in prayer do we then turn to ourselves and our needs and desires. It's when we give God his proper place that all other things fall into their proper places. I think that's a wonderful pattern for life. And we then see, we see the the fatherhood of God, we see the holiness of God, we see the kingdom of God, the will of God, the provision of God, the forgiveness of God, the protection of God. And yeah, I've been reminded again this week how, how good it is to pray. God loves it when we do and Jesus is clear that Father God answers our prayers. So let's have a look at this in a, um, in a little more detail. I recognize I'm only touching the surface and I'll look at some bits and, and not others and forgive me for that. But it starts with our Father. And I, and I think we mustn't miss the word our. It's not my Father. It's our Father. And our links each of us here as a praying person to other believers, to other Christians who know Christ Jesus as their Savior, know the Father in heaven as their Father. So even though we're encouraged to use prayer in private, we know that as we do so, we are part of a wider family. We know that we're meant to be praying together in community as well because it's our. So brothers and sisters of all saints, it is right that we pray together here in church. It is right when we gather together in small groups. It is great when we gather together in prayer triplets. It's right that we should pray together because we are not an only child. We are part of a worldwide family of believers. Therefore, we don't just ask for ourselves. We ask for others, our Father. And also what we see here is that through Jesus, we can know our God as Father. We can know him intimately and directly. We can dial direct. We know that our Father in heaven passionately wants to hear us. And it's to a deeply loving and caring and compassionate Father to whom we pray. And I think that's why we start with our Father. Jesus is showing us that understanding that our God is our Father is primary to prayer. I do believe that if we understand that God is a loving Father, a loving parent, then we're going to naturally want to speak to him any time about anything, whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're um, with our family, whether we're in the car, whether we're on the train, on the way to work, I'm traveling into work in Leeds a lot at the moment, and a lot of my prayer time in the morning is done on that train from Sheffield to Leeds, whether we're on the bus, whether we are walking to the shops, whether we're doing quick little bullet prayers in particular situations, or whether we are um, in deep reflections or soaking in prayer. And whatever it is that we're praying about, whether it's pains, whether it's hope, whether it's fears, whether it's despair, I think we will do it if we remember that we are loved and cared for by him, our Father who loves us because he's a place of restoration, of peace, of safety. And that's the reason we start with our Father. And it's our Father in heaven. 
I don't think we should miss the balance in the opening to the prayer. We address God intimately as Father and we immediately recognize his infinite greatness and power with the addition of in heaven. And then hallowed be your name, verse 9, to pray that God's name be hallowed is to pray that God's name be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done, verse 10. And when we pray these words, we're praying for God's rule and reign to come both in the future and in the present. I think it means to pray for, um, for people to come to know Christ, for people to come um, into a place of healing, to be healed, to be set free from evil, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Anything to do with the expansion of the kingdom. And of course it also looks forward to Jesus coming again. And I also think it's great when we pray this that we're putting things into God's hands. I, I often don't know what to pray in certain situations and saying your will be done God is reflecting the reality that we trust in his power in his providence in his sovereignty in every situation and it's once we've gone through those parts of the Lord's prayer that are focused on on God his glory his will his plans for for the earth here today and in our lives that we then move on to our need and you see this in verse 11 give us today our daily bread and it's here where Jesus refers to our basic needs and what we see is God is concerned about everything that we are concerned about everything that we need and just as a parent wants a child to talk about things that concern and and worry them he wants to talk to us and it as, as a father myself, my two boys, Daniel and James, it really matters to me and Claire that they can talk to us about anything. At most mealtimes at the end of the day, um, we do something in our house where we, we do the peak and the pit. The boys sometimes get tired of it, but we say, what's been your peak today? So what's been the highest part of your day? And get some weird and wonderful things. Um, it's where we do hear about things that actually are happening at school. But after we've done the peak, we then do pit, What's been the worst thing in your day? What's the thing that's given you the worst, worst feeling? Where have you felt low? And it's really, we do it because Claire and I really want to know what's, what's worrying the boys, what's happening in their lives. And as I was studying this, I thought, and that's exactly what our father wants us as his children to talk about too. He wants us to be open with him about our needs, whether those are issues with money or work or family or daily needs. By saying, give us today our daily bread, it's bringing those things we need to God and saying, we're dependent on you. Lord, we're bringing it to you in in prayer. And of course, while bread represents our physical needs, it also represents spiritual nourishment. Jesus is the bread of life. We need to hunger for God's word, his presence and his grace to sustain us in our, in our journey of faith. It's great to be able to pray to a loving father about the things that we need and know that he cares passionately and intimately about those things that we care about, the big and the small. And as I've been studying this this week, I've been reminded afresh that there is power in prayer. I keep... Um, Um, I keep a a prayer journal that I like to think I fill out every day, but I don't. I probably get through about two or three times um, a week. And as I flicked through it again, I've just been reminded how often God answers and hears our prayers and answers in a surprising way. But people are healed when we pray. Situations are changed. Our hearts are transformed. Provision is given. 
Um, on Thursday night, I, um, I found that I couldn't sleep at all because I was worrying about something. And at three in the morning, having spent two hours not able to sleep, I thought, gosh, I've been studying all this on prayer and here I am worrying about something and I haven't prayed about it. So at 3 a.m., I committed it all to God. I prayed through every single part of it and I felt a sense of peace and then managed to sleep through till 6. And then on Friday afternoon, I had resolution to that issue I was worrying about. It, um, It just was all dealt with. And... I gave thanks to God for that. I thought, what an amazing answer to prayer. And I know that some would say, well, that's a coincidence. On Friday afternoon, that thing was always going to get sorted out. But I suppose what I would say is the more we pray, the more coincidences we see. Because God is good and loves to answer our prayers. Now, verse 12, he then goes on, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we often say. When we pray for forgiveness we're acknowledging our fallen nature like we did earlier and our needs for God's grace and mercy. And these words, as we also have forgiven, do reveal that inseparable link between receiving and extending forgiveness. Just as God forgives us, we are called to forgive others. And that's emphasized again, if you see, in verses 14 and 15. The act of forgiveness breaks the chains of bitterness and resentment and hatred. And although it might be difficult, it's a calling with God supporting and empowering us to do that forgiving. And then verse 13, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us. As we often say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can be sure that we're going to be exposed to temptation and to attacks of the evil one, as it says in verse 13. And I think including this shows God is involved in our deliverances from trials and temptations. He doesn't, he doesn't tempt us to sin. It says in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that he doesn't. But we, we do need forgiveness of our past sins and we need deliverance from the present evil temptations with which we are constantly bombarded. So there we have it. What a prayer that I haven't done justice to. What a wonderful pattern for prayer. I encourage each of us to take time in prayer. And um, one wonderful line I read during my studying was this. Our goal in prayer is not ultimately to get things from God. Our goal in prayer is ultimately to know love, and enjoy God. And so finally, on to the the third part of the talk, and this is is brief. And it's the spiritual discipline of fasting. We see this in these final few verses that was so well read to us. And fasting absolutely seems to be a spiritual discipline that can enhance our spiritual journey. We see how Jesus speaks here about fasting with a sincerity and a humility. And it, it seems here that he's talking about going without food, for a certain limited time so he could focus on God, his Father. And we see how Jesus fasted in the wilderness at the start of his earthly ministry. In the Bible, we see fast being used by God's people to help detach themselves from worldly desires and dependencies and to spend time in prayer, reminding them of their reliance on God. And I think fasting would have been normal for many of Jesus' listeners um, when they were listening to him here because it was mandatory for the Jewish community at least once a year to fast on the Day of Atonement. And in some ways it's saying this is an act of submission, it's an act of 
um, surrender, acknowledging that our physical needs are secondary to um, our spiritual hunger for God's presence. In my studies, I've seen how King David used fasting to humble himself before God in Psalm 35. I've seen how Daniel and Jonah used it as an aid to prayer. We see that the early church, Acts 13, used it as an aid to prayer, but also as a way to commission Paul and Barnabas and to to support them in their mission work. So we can see it is an important spiritual discipline, and it does say, whenever you fast, assuming that we will fast, And I don't know how many of us practice it as a regular spiritual discipline. Thinking practically about how we could do it, one thing we could do is start with a partial fast, maybe abstain from certain foods or maybe sweets or desserts um, for a specific period. We see a partial fast in the book of Daniel. Um, Or maybe fast for um, go without food for, for one meal in a day. In my old house group, we used to do that. If we particularly wanted to pray for somebody or something, sometimes we'd all agree we would go without food for one meal and use that time to pray for a particular thing, which we actually found really helpful. But maybe we can fast from something other than food. For example, we could fast from television, fast from social media. My gosh, that could be hard in today's world. Or fast from something else, go without something for a period of time to use that time to pray and focus um, on God. Obviously, I need to say if it's fasting from food that we have to do that safely. And it's crucial to approach fasting with wisdom and balance. And if there's any health concerns, we should take professional medical advice and drink water. We've got to always listen to our body and be mindful of its needs. But I think one thing that should give us grace in this is what we saw from the start. In verses 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 16, the most important thing isn't about the length of time fasting from food or fasting from anything else for that matter or about achieving um, a checklist of, of rules but it's about cultivating a deeper relationship with God it's our heart that matters each of our journeys will be unique so let's seek God's guidance as to how we might adopt a fast of some sort in order to spend time in prayer or in God's word to deepen that intimacy with our Father Because remember, we want to honour him with our hearts and allow him to work in and through us as we engage in this spiritual discipline. As I was studying, I saw this quote that I really liked about fasting. And it was, fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. So, as we finish, as we've studied this passage together, Ultimately, I think all of this is about intimacy with our maker, our father in heaven. There's a promise to draw close to God and God will draw close to you. And our father in heaven is present. He wants that relationship with us. So this week, let's enjoy spending time in prayer, putting our lives, our decisions, the concerns of others before him. And maybe let's use a spiritual discipline like fasting to focus on him, asking him to soften our hearts and to obey him. Amen.